0: Hey everybody, and welcome to the Blind Ambition with Jack Kelly. It's Rick from Blind here. And together we have Sagi Gadali, who's from Perimeter81. Sagi is the co-founder and chief growth officer of Perimeter81, which offers radically simplified network security for the modern hybrid workplace. So it's actually a platform that enforces a zero trust architecture, and recently they announced they have unicorn status valued at more than one billion dollars after completing a hundred million dollars series c uh, so that's incredible growth um, Sagi is a user experience and user interface leader and an expert designer with more than 15 years of experience in the field he's worked at siemens as a user experience consultant he holds a patent for the security of public wi-fi networks uh, and he's from Israel, where he served in the IDF's elite visual intelligence unit, unit 9900. Uh, so, Sagi, I, I have to ask, whenever I get a founder on the show, walk mm-hmm. me through your founding story. You know, there, there's a, sometimes a little bit of like craziness that's required to be an entrepreneur, that's required to be a founder. And I'd love to dig in there.
1: Yeah, it goes like a way back to my to my past. I mean, are like several ingredients, um, like the culture in Israel, and also the, the journey that we do uh, from the army, university, um, and the way we, we 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 react to entrepreneurship. But I started my journey when I was nine years old. I started to to design. I learned by myself. My parents, me and my brother. We had a fight and then my dad thought that it would be like a good idea to buy us a design a tool, design software. So we fell in love uh, into design. What we did, I designed for uh, school kids, um, diaries and stickers. So I started to sell uh, these into the, uh, to my classmates. And this was actually like my first uh, business, a small business. Um, And this is like where I fell in love into design. And I also did it uh, in the army because I was in the visual intelligence unit, but I also studied computer science and economics in Tel Aviv University. So I can say it's like a, a combination of like being very analytical, learning computer science, but also learning the other aspect of design, user experience and understanding the psychology of the user uh, uh, themselves. And this is like where I started uh, my journey. Um, and I met my co-founder Amit uh, back in the university. And this is where we started our, our first venture. And uh, till now, so this, this is like basically my second company, one.
0: So why security? H- how did you decide to kind of Dig in there. I, I, I've noticed this trend. There's, there's a lot of um, Israeli tech startups, Israeli tech unicorns that have just decided to focus kind of on the infrastructure, on the kind of unsexy parts of tech.
1: Yeah. Actually, it was very random. So I'll give you some more context. The first company that we established was a VPN solution for consumers vpn is virtual private network and basically it allows you to um to protect your online privacy and security in the internet while you're browsing uh, if you would like i will explain more about like what is a vpn but um back in the days me and my co-founder we wanted to uh, to establish a company or to start a startups this, this this was the dream so we were sitting for uh, several months in the Google campus. This is like the ecosystem that Google provided to young entrepreneurs uh, in Israel. And we thought what to do. We want to be independent. We want to, to disrupt the market. We wanted to create and to innovate something. So in one of the, these times, uh, there was a CEO of an ad ed- 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 tech company that came to the campus. And he told me to meet my co-founder guys, I need a solution for my company. I want a VPN uh, for all my employees and I want to save money on the current solution that I'm using. And we didn't know like what is a VPN and what uh, you can do with that. But we said to him, hey, listen, we can give you a working solution in 30 days. So that's what we did. We we went offline and we started like to, to build the solution itself. I did all the design aspect and the front end and my partner did all the, the backend stuff. And after 30 days, we got ourselves our first customer. So this is like how we started the, the, our journey uh, in the startup scene. And after three months of uh, exploring like both well opportunities, we understood that like, the big potential in VPN for consumers. Many people are concerned about their online privacy and security while browsing the web. And this solution enabled us or allowed us uh, to provide a security solution uh, to consumers. So we very like uh, uh, very fast we managed to build a website and a SaaS solution that uh, really works and started started our first campaign uh, on Google. So we invested the first 1000 dollars and then we brought immediately one-paying customers. So we said to ourselves, hey, there's like very, something very interesting and th- that is working. So we decided to, to expand. Uh, uh, this was basically our uh, MVP and the product market fit. We see that there are users that I are consuming this type of solution. And this is like where we started our uh, journey in the consumer and consumer uh, uh, world.
2: Now, that took a lot of courage. So you never had like a business like that before, but you said, "Hey, I'll figure it out." And you just dove into it, huh?
1: Yeah. so so this is where we talked about uh, the chutzpah, like be bold and start uh, um, just start like coding, building, programming, and uh, and show value. So you also asked about why cyber. So in two thousand and seventeen, uh, we had almost 100 paying, uh, 100,000 paying customers for the first company. Uh, it was a cash flow positive. It was a bootstrap initiative, so we didn't raise any funds. But we saw a huge opportunity. We heard from our customers uh, two things. The first one was a trend that many uh, employees are starting to work remotely. We called it like the digital uh, nomads, people that are walking from the beach in Thailand, coffee shops, home, and etc. And this was way before COVID. And the second thing was about the shift to the cloud, cloud infrastructure. So instead of like walking inside the office and in the on-prem, companies started to shift all the resources to the cloud. So you don't need to protect the, the office, the perimeter, and you need to protect the employee, the user. And in the middle, we said, wow, there's like a huge opportunity here, very disruptive market that is growing very fast. The shift from the legacy from the hardware-based solutions into cloud native and SaaS solutions that can do the same with less effort and less investment for the companies. It's much more modern and robust. And we took like a huge risk and decided to sell the first company. And on the infrastructure of this company, we managed to launch Perimeter 81 in 2018. And this is how we got into the cybersecurity industry, selling to B2Bs now with more than 2,800 paying customers from SMBs to enterprises.
2: That's fantastic. So what sets you apart? Like how, you know, in your pitch to customers, you know, there's other entities kind of similar, like what's the secret sauce that you do that makes it stand out?
1: Yeah. So we started, we, we mastered like a SaaS software, and we also did lots of B2C marketing, performance marketing, and other initiatives. Uh, So instead of like, all the other SaaS companies, the B two B ones, we didn't decide. We didn't uh, took the uh, top bottom approach, starting with the enterprises and the big market. We did bottom up, so we start with small organizations, up to fifty employees, and we use the same technique that we use in the B two C solution and performance marketing uh, to gain the traction in the small market. And uh, since then we're going up market. So currently the sweet spot of the company is SMEs and large companies that we are targeting. So this is like one thing. And the key differentiator, it's all about the, the design, the user experience. And we call it like radically simple cybersecurity. It's how to simplify a complex product. We're talking about VPNs, firewalls. It's very hard. Uh, to maintain, it's very hard to configure this type of solutions. But once that you manage to to break the code and to figure out how can you simplify, how can you make it more accessible, how to reduce the risk and friction for the customer, for the prospect, this is the key differentiator. So today they can get up and running in a matter of minutes, days, weeks at most, and you can compare it to the legacy solutions where it takes several months just to get up and running until you send and and ship the the hardware, until you configure all the policies, until you configure all the...
2: Now, do you think, given, let's take the tech sector, where there are so many layoffs now, belt tightening, cutting costs, that, and not just in the tech area, but others, that some companies may start scrimping on paying for cybersecurity, maybe laying off some of the cybersecurity folks that you could see countries, criminals kind of going on the offensive, thinking, hey, these places are going to be weakened because they're not putting a budget behind it anymore. And this is not your shop. I'm talking about just generally speaking, that we might see a rise in a lot of cyber attacks.
0: Yeah.
1: So we don't see a slowdown in the cyber industry, but we do see another trend that the CISOs, the IT managers are looking for tools that are doing consolidation of solutions. Instead of buying the best of breed, like the best antivirus, the best cloud protection tool, the best VPN, they are looking for a single uh, solution, a one-stop shop platform that they can consume all the the solutions that they need uh, in a very simple way. So we're talking about consolidation of network and security solutions, uh, but we do see a slowdown because of the layoffs. Uh, the layoffs, many companies are uh, uh, shrinking. Uh, so we do see the the trend and the impact on our business.
2: Could that be a bad? This is going to sound crass, but could it be in a way a good thing because maybe it frees up a lot of talent? You know that was that you know that worked at let's say Meta but so you you know you can get some really good talent to come in that maybe you could have procured beforehand. So in a bizarre way, could that be helpful for like organizations like yours?
1: Um, yes, there are like much more talents. I mean, the demand in 2021 and the supply, it was a, a nightmare for companies like us. And we, we need to, um, to struggle to get like the top talents and we need to find very creative ways and to find them and uh, and hire them. And now the market is more, uh, um, there's much more uh, uh, supply.
2: Because Rick, the folks on blind, because these these people are really career oriented, money oriented, and they gravitate. Rick, tell me if I'm wrong here. They gravitate a lot towards the Apples, the Amazons, the Microsofts, the Netflix. But I wonder, would there be a shift now where maybe, it makes sense to look at places, you know, like Sagis, where you say, huh, they don't have that name, the same name value as let's say an Amazon, but they have the cash, they raise a lot of money, they had enough money at the right time. So maybe kind of pivot and, and all of a sudden you see a game change where the big, you know, the big fang type of companies aren't going to be the hot people anymore. It's going to be, you know, the really smart business people who have money, who didn't squander it, and who are growing. And maybe that's where people should start going. What do you guys think?
0: I mean, I think you're exactly right, right? So a lot of the blind community, they're attracted to these large, big tech companies, because of the job security, right? Where you know that... And, and the options, is... right? And the stock and the options too. Exactly. Right. Like Google's never going to go out of business. They have fabulous perks. Those are most likely not going to go away. Um, the compensation in terms of stock is is quite high, right? These are, uh, you know, the biggest blue chip companies in the world, right? And now you're seeing a lot of folks reconsider, right? Because this year there's been kind of a correction in tech, some of these... Uh, companies that they're losing five, 10, 20 percent of, of their share value in a single day. Like keep going. Like a, oh, yeah. Cryptos, it's like 37%. Right?
2: Crazy.
0: And these technologists, they're smart. They're they're seeing their stock based component of their their, their their total compensation go down. And then they start to think, well, oh, there's a lot of these unicorn companies that are out there right? I I used to avoid them because the stock was illiquid, right? They're in stock options instead of, you know, the restricted stock units that land in a Fidelity account that I can trade immediately. There's thinking, oh, well, now the total compensation, the calculus has changed where they're very similar, but with a startup, you have that growth potential, right? It could become Um, the next big public company, it could shoot up in value. And suddenly you're thinking, hey, actually, you know, rather than working at Google or Snap or Meta, I might work at Airbnb or DoorDash or a Notion or another unicorn uh, that actually might pay more or might be better uh, in the long run. And so it's been an interesting trend this year, right? Because last year it was, Gosh, like great resignation, Sagi felt this, right? Where it was just so hard to recruit. Mm -hmm. Um, Compensation was quite high. And now we're seeing a reversal. Like it it just seems like in the last three or four years, every year, maybe even six months, the job market has changed, especially in tech. I don't know if you're feeling it, (laughs) Sagi.
1: No, no, I, I truly agree. Uh, I think that there are several important factors uh, when you're selecting or choosing like your new uh, workplace or a new company. So work security is like very important, but also like moving, shifting to, to the startups. It's about like the challenge, delivering, uh, creating impact and moving the needle. Um, so this is like what we, we offer to our employees. Uh, full ownership and accountability and ways to disrupt a huge market. It's, I'm talking about like tens of billions of dollars. Be very disruptive, very innovate, and change the way we consume cybersecurity. So that's what we give to our employees.
0: I mean, I, I, I've just always been a startup kind of guy. I, I can't imagine working at a large company where I mean let's say you're you're an engineer and you go work at Google like almost every technical challenge has been solved right and I mean you you might end up on the team that's like hey I I I'm optimizing this one little widget that no one ever sees whereas you know if I go work at Primer 81 you have this like high impact potential right where you can ship probably more often And you can actually see like the look on the customer's face across from you where I I did something that actually made their lives better or it's more immediate, I I imagine.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the point. It's kind of semi real time. What you do and how you develop and how you shift it to production and how you market it to the potential customers. It's a very short cycle Um, and this is very satisfying. For me, for the
0: employees, and this opportunity. Can, can you walk us through what that feedback loop is like? Like I, I imagine with security, it, it's almost like a cat and mouse game, right? Like you 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 close a hole somewhere, and you know, on the other side, someone drills another one. and it and it goes back and forth. You know what what does that customer feedback loop look like? Are, are you just playing? Like a customer saying like, hey, I have this issue, fix it for me? Or is it something else entirely?
1: So that's a, another interesting, it's a huge topic. I mean, how do you build your roadmap and building the product? So I think like the main thing is to listen to the customer. Hear what a customer wants to, to say, what is the problem, what is the gap, what they need. And then you need to filter it and to get like all the the savvy insights. So you take it like from one customer and then you multiply all the information and all the data points with the amount, like for example, like all of our customers. So you're getting like very interesting uh, data points and a very accurate roadmap that solves like many of uh, uh, the potential and the future problems. So what we did in our company, we developed, inner tools that basically are collecting lots of uh, information from the customers, from the sales cycle, from the post-sale cycle, QBRs, talking with the customer success team, with uh, the, the sales engineers, talking with our product team. And we are sending all the data points into one big database or data lake. And then we took all this information and we are running different algorithms and basically filtering the insights that we need. And this gives us the signal and the pulses for the future uh, features and products that we are going to develop. So once you do that and you check the competitive landscape and you also talk with the analysts and also like a bit of our secret sauce and innovation, when you combine all of this, you get like a very valuable uh, offering and a product.
0: So, so it's not this kind of like you're running from behind as often as as I think, right? It's not necessarily cat and mouse in the terms of uh, this back and forth or a tug of war. but I, I mean, yeah. there's some proactive work that you're doing, right? Yeah?
1: Yes, but it's a. As you said, it's a constant feedback loop. It's ongoing all the time. Mm. We collecting new information and new data. We enrich our systems. And then we're getting new insights about what we're going to do and how we're going to do that. And it also allows us to prioritize the most valuable, the most impactful uh, features in our uh, solution.
2: Rick, are you finding on Blind, are there more people kind of now taking a look at cybersecurity, and those type of roles? Because this seems just to be, you know, such a big and growing, you know, issue. Are you seeing more people saying, hey, I never really thought of going into that as a career, but maybe I should?
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting, because, you know, I've spoken with quite a few CISOs, heads of security, and it, it seems like there's kind of like two career tracks. Like one is, you know, there were the the tinkerer when they were growing up, they, they taught themselves how to code um, and, and they started like kind of like trying to break things, right? And they almost kind of accidentally become a hacker, <laughs> right? And and from there, they kind of see the light, so to speak. And uh, now they figure out like, how how can I actually use my, Skills to to help other people, right? Not necessarily to be uh, you know, a nefarious hacker. And then others, and, and this is the group that I I see often on Blind, is you know, they they come on as a technologist or a software engineer, they work at a startup or a tech company. It seems to happen more often at the startup or, or smaller company where things just need to get done. And security is often like the tenth priority, believe it or not, at a company, right? And the the company becomes large enough, or maybe they get curious enough to say, like, I actually have to work on security or or, or building this, you know, particular feature set out. I actually quite like it, and, and they start going down that path and kind of adding more to their toolbox, uh, and, and then they they suddenly say oh man, I, I just spent the last like one, two, three, four plus years uh, working in security. I, I, I guess I'm a security engineer. I I, I haven't met anyone, uh, maybe just not yet or, or seen anything online quite yet where, you know, it's like you go to college and you're like, I wanna be a security engineer. I graduate, I, I'm I'm only gonna apply to these like security jobs. Like I, I don't know if you have uh, maybe those unicorns talking at you where you're at.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, it's a very hot market. I mean, there's a huge demand for yeah. uh, security <laughs> uh, persons. I,
0: I, I mean, so like what are kind of the folks that are attracted to work at perimeter 81? Is it this kind of second group where they just find themselves like, oh, like I, I actually quite like working in... Security, or is it kind of almost like the the accidental person that 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 finds themselves in security?
1: Uh, I think it's both. I mean for for like I'm leading the the product team, the marketing team, the mainly like the go to market. So I'm looking like for a specific type of uh, persons. I like to empower, I like to give the accountability and the ownership uh, to my employees. Um, so I'm looking more from, for the dependents and people that I want to uh, to deliver impact, to innovate, to think about new ideas. And we're very transparent in the company. We share most of the information from the revenues or financials, stuff like that. So it really creates engagement uh, within the employees. like every deal that we close, we, we publish, we' have like a shared slack channels and etc. So it's a lot about the employee experience and the culture, and uh, so we're looking at people that are fit to the special DNA that we managed to to create in our company. Um, and for from the other side, like the tech side, we are looking like uh, for specific people for specific roles. Uh, some of them will be like a uh, security, um, uh, people that are like like pure security, others will be like developers that are coming from many different backgrounds, not necessarily security at networking because we are also a SaaS company. So they need to understand the, the business aspect of it. They need to connect the, the, the line of code to the impact, to the revenue impact. So we want people to think holistically about the entire funnel.
0: So, I, I I'm curious, what does the interview process look like, uh, for Primer 81? one Like, are are there specific, I mean, beyond that kind of focus on the customer and this interest to kind of make a outsized impact? Like, what other kind of qualities are you looking for in a in a potential new hire?
2: Um,
1: it it depends. Like, for which team, for which role. Uh, but as I mentioned, I'm looking for people that are, looking like looking for the top talents that uh, can be independent, that can think out of the box. I like tons of crazy ideas and looking for people that are uh, in the same mind uh, of me. Um, people that are uh, honest, humble, it's very important, we're a very humble company. Even though we managed to to get to a unicorn status and etc., it was like in a very humble way. Not like crazy parties and stuff like that. So, um, we, we are looking for people that will come and walk with us shoulder to shoulder, eye to eye, and, and will be like on the same page. So this is like the the characteristic of uh, the the people that we already want.
0: Yeah, because that's one thing that I've noticed, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of Israeli companies in the past and I've noticed like there, there tends to be this trend of, yeah, sure, there's a hierarchy and, and on paper I'm the founder or this guy's the director, but there's always this like sense of like debate and like all hands in and um, like this very like sense of like no ego of just like diving into it and saying like, like, look, this just needs to get done. Um, who has the best idea to do it, and and, and just let's do it. Is yeah. that the case here?
1: Yeah, I'm a big believer of uh, lead by example. You don't get the the authority or the mandate by having a title or a certain title. Although hierarchy is very important. So as the company is going and evolving, you need to create your leadership team, I need to create the management and the mid-level management, but still it's about walking with no ego, zero ego. I go between the floors of the office, I sit with the employees, I hear the feedback, very important to me. Um, We started, I call it, uh, when it was small, it it felt like a, a family, you know, like 10 employees, 20 employees, now it's growing. And you need to adapt, you need to find like the new values that uh, still fits. Uh, so we took now a building in Tel Aviv. It's more about not being a family, but more like the hospitality and how you interact uh, with the employees. And for me, it's very important to, to meet the employees. Now it's around 270 employees worldwide. So we have offices in uh, uh, Tel Aviv, New York, and LA. And it's very challenging because I used to know like all the employees by name and their families, and to get like the personal stories. And now I'm trying to to catch up and uh, see like uh, talk with random employees and ask about like their their day, their their tasks and etc. And trying to help. So it's a lot about uh, a transformation for me and evolution and it's to adapt to a new uh, reality. But this is what we try to. Uh, to lead in the company and uh, the, the, the humbleness, the no ego, and to be with the employees, not above the employees.
2: To, Siki, to go back to what Rick was saying, I wonder, I, I don't know if it's still the case, but I, I seem to recall when I was younger that in Israel there are a lot of kibbutzes where you know it would be more of a communal living space, you know, everybody working together. So I wonder like Silicon Valley has their own kind of ecosystem. New York city has their own, you know, financial ecosystem. Do you think a combination of having that kind of kibbutz background where people kind of collaborate together coupled with, it seems like, and I could just say this from the outside as a novice, I don't know if I'm correcting this, but so many people who started companies went into the army, went into learned, you know, maybe they had tech beforehand, but really honed in on it and, and then they built it so you have that combination of the knowledge of tech, the entrepreneurial spirit, plus you have that kind of, you know, group, you know, working together that it creates this own vibe that's a little bit maybe more unique than some other countries, some other areas. Does does that make sense? Is that because you're talking I about actually, it, thinking it through.
1: It, it's very funny that you are mentioning it and saying it. We just moved to a new office. It was belonged to the kibbutz, the kibbutz movement <laughs> in the center of Tel Aviv.
2: Do they still have kibbutzes, or or that's
1: yeah, there are kibbutzes. And,
2: and the for kibbutzes people who are listening, I don't mean to interrupt. For people who are into how, because I don't know it well enough to explain. It. How how would you explain a kibbutz to people who may not know what that means?
1: It's a group that uh, that sharing like the same resources and the same ideology. And um, It's about like the the sharing, like the all the kids stayed like in one place, and uh, someone was taking care of the, all the, the kids of uh, the kibbutz. Uh, all the salaries and the income uh, went into the kibbutz. So this was about like the the sharing and the idealism of uh, uh, of the kibbutz being like a, as as a whole.
2: I don't want to go off topic here, but yeah. I wonder. Here in the U.S., but the the
1: kibbutz is a very interesting, uh, uh, interesting model. I can say that now we're like in the kibbutz building, like the big kibbutz building. Uh, We took some of the values, but at the end, it's not a democracy. It's a business. You need to be productive. You need to to lead the way. And if we took like a decision with consideration from all the parties in the building, it was uh, you cannot uh, progress. It's very hard
2: don't laugh at me guys, but let me, let me just, just thought experiment here in the US. I'm not sure how, like how much you kind of key into what's going on here. It's crazy. We're a lot of our minds lately, every, you know, and it's, and it's really hard because with inflation, higher costs, you know, you have both parents are working and, you know, you have kids to take care of, you have elderly relatives, you have people who are impacted by COVID. I wonder if businesses might start setting up that model to say, hey, how can we take care of childcare? How do we take care of elder care? How do we, you know what I mean, kind of do all that together so people could kind of live and have a job and do it? I wonder if that's like a model that could be kind of done in a different way, like you're saying. It doesn't have to be everyone shares everything, but somehow pull the resources to have teachers, babysitters, childcare, elder care, and you know, together and just to make it practical because like here I don't know how you have inflation where you are but here it's out of control and a lot of people are worried that they don't have they just don't have enough money to get by yeah I like that crazy idea is that is that
1: let's start to break it down a bit more and uh... (laughs) maybe it's a new concept I don't know yeah
0: I mean, it, until recently, I, I mean, some critics right now would say these big tech companies used to provide very similar, uh, yeah, concept, right, where uh, you have the daycare, right, or you you have these stipends that try to make your life easier. Uh, and until recently, Meta had free laundry, right. <laughs> Uh, there's all these like kind of like different things where they want to unlock your just like productivity or, or, or free some stress so that you can kind of focus ideally on your, your best work.
1: No, it's it's interesting concept like the, the shared resources. And I also know from Israel, we have a, a new, it's kind of like a, a startup in the real estate world. So there are families that want to save costs of, uh, of the apartment of the rent so what they do they are like uh, renting an entire building and families are living in shared apartments so they have like a shared kitchen or like a shared mm. bathroom and etc but still they're getting like the privacy and they're getting the the bonus of the collective the community that uh, you talked about like the um babysitting the kids or like uh, preparing food together buying together the ingredients and etc so it is like about the cost saving. Uh, so I see it in Israel and in some places.
2: See, it's so interesting. Like Rick, it's like he, it's when, it, you know, I've read that during recessions and tough times, a lot of the best companies started. And I wonder, this is it, because like you start saying hey, "Hey, things have changed and we can't just keep doing what we've been doing because that's kind of mm-hmm. over. So we have to rethink things. And then you start coming up with these ideas to say, hmm. Maybe in terms of a career, say, hey, I didn't think about cybersecurity, but you know what? That seems to be a fast growth future, you know, future of work kind of thing. Let me go into that. Or starting a business and something like we're talking about with these things where it fits with high inflation, high costs, you know what I mean? Commutes, taking care of elderly, taking care of the kids, where you start seeing different types of companies evolve and be kind of the next leaders.
1: Yeah, yeah, you have like many new challenges and many new constraints, so you need to be very creative in order to, let's call it, let's exaggerate, to survive uh, in this uh, macroeconomics and situation. So also us, we are, although we have the, the money in the bank, you need to be very conservative and to grow intelligently in order to make it uh, uh, to the next chapter of the company.
2: So even as a unicorn company you still have to be kind of I don't say worried but you still have to be really cautious watch every penny and be really just as like you have to watch every single employee that they don't do something stupid to you know get get attacked yeah. same thing you can't take it for granted that hey yeah we have this funding everything is good you still have yeah. to really make sure you're you're you're, you're fulfilling your mission
1: yeah and it to, to- check your balance sheet you need to you need to have a plan you know it can get worse you don't know what will happen you see the inflation you see the uh, what's happening in the stock market Mm -hmm. so we see also companies that are like doing the layoffs it's like the impact is immediate on our business because this is like the the growth potential uh, for our solution so you also need to 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 check your headcount need to check the your spending i mean I'm, I'm having like a very expensive office and I'm doing like about the welfare budget, travel budget. So you need to, to, to examine everything and make sure that you have enough money for the next two, three years until you will be able to uh, get funding again.
2: There's so much, you know, the more, you know, I'm thinking about it, there's so much to worry about because let's take a layoff. Like imagine, you know, let's take a, you know, any company like Twitter, laying off people, uh, but it's going to be anytime, anywhere. You gonna get disgruntled people who feel I should not have got laid off. I hate you. And then just maybe leave your computer open, maybe share some stuff, maybe what have you. Um, and that's kind of, that might, I wonder if that's kind of a next wave of what will happen where when you have, you know, continued layoffs at all these companies <clears> across the board, where you might have some disgruntled, you know, um, employees who feel victimized and maybe they shouldn't have been let go, and maybe they do something, maybe they give it to a friend, maybe they purposely yeah. leave the door open. Is that a thing that you worry about? Is that something that's that's a concern?
1: No, that's that's very manageable. Yeah. So once you you want to stop like all the and the company services and the the access, you can do that immediately. So Is that why like, they cut
2: it off like right away? Like when you hear these stories about layoffs, they kind of just it sounds cold where they just shut you right off of everything?
1: Yeah, exactly. If it's like a you know like a sudden uh, uh, layoff and uh, you don't have time to prepare, you will do that in order to uh, to protect the the company, the company's asset. But, as you said before, about like uh, companies' issues and problems. I mean, small companies, small problems, big company, big problems. Yeah. Um, so lots of issues. Uh, and you need to to get ready, and you need to be also for you need to be there for the for the employees, also the ones that you are like uh, um setting free. It's the human aspect, helping to find the next job and to be there for them. Uh, So it's very important to do it like in a a very respectful way, not just sending an email uh, and saying goodbye.
2: See, Rick, isn't it? Like, I didn't think of that before, but you've seen on your site, on Blind, and you've seen on LinkedIn and other places, just people getting so angry that, you know, they they receive, like you said, an email and then everything shut off and it just feels so cold and so harsh. But at the same time, I guess you all just have to cut it off, huh? You just, because you want to prevent something from happening.
0: Right. I, I, I've been at companies where I resign, and this was pre-COVID days, and I had a physical security guard walk me out. So it's, it's a funny <laughs> site where, you know, it, it's like me, that the PR guy, but because, you know, I had access to so-and-so financial information and, and all of these things you know I, I give my my two weeks notice and i was like oh no you actually don't have to come in for the rest of the two weeks we'll we'll we'll, we'll give you the payment um and you know so, someone will clean up your desk and we'll, we'll fedex all your 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 belongings to you later but um you're you're out the door
2: today and i'm thinking
0: How'd well, you that's feel? on good that, terms
2: <laughs> that had to be the worst feeling right <laughs> uh, not necessarily the worst no.
0: feeling it, it was just a very kind of surprising right yeah. like i'm just like oh what, what's actually going on or, or you know I, I can pack my own things you know i'm not a i you know i'm i'm a humble guy I, I don't need someone else to you know do my chores for me but uh you know that that that's to protect the company right because they they don't know what i could do and
2: yeah i, I was up there so it, it was just a, it's a different experience i'd say do, do they ever do do they do that with israeli companies or no Siggy?
1: Not as tired, though, maybe in the very sensitive uh, yeah. cases, but uh, it's not a common thing in Israel.
2: They used to do this before COVID. Because like, you know, now remote work and hybrid work, not everyone's there. But that, I forgot until Rick just brought it up, that was so common. You'd have this big burly security guard <laughs> come and like walk you down. And it's like, you're a criminal. And everybody, dude, and the crazy thing is, because everybody's looking at you with the security guard. So right. then they're thinking, why is Rick and Jack being escorted out of the building? What did they do? <laughs> so that's what I meant. Like, how did you feel about it? So like, you would see someone being escorted down, you're like, what did they do? What happened? Yeah. And everyone starts like you know <laughs> gossiping, gossip. rumors gossip, It's terrible. And then like you get calls like Rick, what happened? Why did why did they kick you out? I'm like, no, I didn't kick me out. I resigned. Oh, you resigned? <laughs> sure. It's yeah. <laughs> American culture is pretty rough, So yeah, yeah. It's it's brutal. Gossip. It really <laughs> is.
0: <laughs> oh man. Well, I, I I really appreciate your insight and your feedback, you about really. It, it's about the person at the end of the day and how you run your business, how you treat your employees during the hard times. Uh, I also really appreciate that anecdote and that insight into why a company that has raised money would even have to do layoffs, because I think that is a a common kind of misunderstanding, right, where it's really about structure of Protecting the company for two, three years so we can grow and do bigger and better things. So, so Thank th- you. thanks for being that expert for us. <laughs> Thank you for hosting me.